Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, y'all, and welcome to Taking Care of Business. Uh, my guest this wonderful Calgary morning, and for a change, it is a wonderful Calgary mor- uh, morning, is uh, Monty Steckler. Uh, and I guess, Monty, you are VP of the SNR Group. Uh, principal, you know, we don't like titles, so we try to <laughs> Mo- keep modest? everything up. Yeah, I, exactly. We're very I modest. See. First yeah. of all, good morning, Monty. And thank th- you. And thank you for being my guest today. Thank you. And thank you for hosting me here at Barclay Street Worldwide Headquarters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I know you have a busy schedule because I try to kind of get you to be on the show for a while. And, and uh, thank you for visiting Calgary and thank you for agreeing to be here. And, and we'll dive immediately and learn more about you personally and then about the SNR group. Uh, but the only piece of information I'm going to share is uh, that uh, you're married to Lonit. Yonit. Yonit, sorry. Yes. And a proud father of? One. One. With a second on the way. Oh, God, mazel tov, mazel yes, tov. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so it's uh, one after the other. Yeah, well, look, uh, it's like in business. You just got to keep going. I see, I you see. Know, you, got, you got the, the, the No the time deal. to take a breath. Just <laughs> keep under, going. Now that you understand the business, you're going, uh, you know, find every opportunity. Take a deep dive. <laughs> exactly. I see. Um you know, full disclosure, uh, the SNR Group is a client of mine and have has been for a few years. And uh, you know, um, we're we're happy to have you here. And and again, I want to dive directly into, and I want you to share the information about you know who is Monty. So, because I know that you speak a few languages, and I know that you are not a Calgarian. So, share with our listeners a little bit about who Monty is. That's a very deep existential question for uh, 8 a.m. Mountain Time on a uh, Tuesday morning. But uh, I'm uh, originally from Montreal. I grew up, uh, born and raised there. Uh, I am a third-generation Canadian and uh, um, uh, been living in New York uh, since college. Went to college and law school in New York, practiced law in New York for several years. I left the law and joined the family business in 07 just in time for the market to crash. So mm-hmm. learned some good lessons, uh, both a good and bad time to uh, join the business, I guess, <laughs> in a sense. And uh, have been living in New York since then, actually moving back to Montreal uh, at the end of this year. So excited about that, excited to go back home, and uh, uh, both from a business perspective and from a family perspective. So, um, Is everybody happy moving back to Montreal? Well, you know, my wife, uh, <laughs> I've actually never really brought her to Canada during the winter because, uh, <laughs> like all good Canadians, we spend uh, f- uh, the winters in Florida, uh, at least the eastern east coast of Canada. The west coast, you guys are in Arizona. But, uh, uh, so, but I, I made a mistake the other night uh, in, in memory of Anthony Bourdain. We, uh, we watched, I noticed it popped up on my Netflix, uh, an Anthony Bourdain episode in Quebec. And uh, my luck, it was midwinter that Anthony was there, and he said, 
I, Montreal is my favorite city in Canada, but I don't know why the heck anybody would ever live here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, the, the piece included asking a postal worker in the middle of a snowstorm how many injuries he's had from slipping on the ice. And he said, too many to count, I think, was his answer. So, uh, yeah, when my wife thought that, saw that, she had maybe second thoughts. But, uh, but we're excited. Uh, you know, it's a great city, great community. Uh, the real estate industry is really uh, doing well there right now, and uh, we've got some fun projects we're working on, and so we're excited about it. Perfect. We'll talk about your project and uh, SNR later. A little bit more about uh, kind of, uh, let's talk a little bit more about yourself. So, uh, as you mentioned, you grew up in Montreal. What do you remember from childhood in Montreal? Uh, you know, I grew up in an interesting time uh, to be in Quebec, uh, particularly as an English Quebecer. I, I was uh, I, in high school in 95-96 was my last year of high school, and uh, that's when the referendum happened. And I remember Air Canada, I think they were uh, flying people out to, to Montreal for a, a, a buck a flight, and uh, it's certainly <laughs> a heck of a lot more expensive today from Calgary. So. Uh, I, you know, people were coming in for the rally and uh, I happened to be, not to toot my own horn, but I happened to be president of the student council in high school. So one of my uh, uh, duties was organizing our attendance at the rally in favor of staying in Canada. Uh, so it was an interesting time, but uh, Montreal, it's, it's a great place. It's, it's very multicultural, very European, as I'm sure many of your listeners know. And uh, so there's just a lot of flavor to the city. So if there is one city uh, coming back from New York, which obviously, uh, you know, needs no description. Uh, but coming back from New York to Canada, Montreal is really the, the, the spot to be for uh, me and my family. I see. So, uh, and Calgary's not bad either, though. Don't, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Yeah, don't, yeah I'm not getting... Uh, I, I don't take it personally. Don't worry about it. So uh, you, you go to school in Montreal. You grow up in Montreal. So why move to the U.S. for, for study? I, I mean, McGill has a good reputation. Oof, ooh, David, you're the hard-hitting questions here. I didn't realize I'm going to be put on the spot. Uh, well, you know, I honestly, one of the big, uh, uh, big reasons why I went is I, you know, and my fellow Quebecers might not be happy with the answer, but I kind of find the uh, CJEP concept a little bit uh, uh, frustrating, the concept as a whole. So I was happy to skip over that and went straight to college on the American side. And, and I kind of wanted to see things outside a little bit. Uh, we had family and friends there and uh, wanted to broaden my horizons a little bit and similar to other family members. My father went to school in uh, New York as well to college and then came back afterwards. So uh, to a certain extent, family following the family tradition and, uh, you know, happy I, I really experienced and dipped my toes uh, on the other side of the border. And, and hopefully some of the things I learned will benefit me going forward, have great relationships south of the border in our business. Uh, certainly, ha we have a lot of, of different projects going on south of the border. So, uh, you know, I always kind of, I'm, I'm always on both sides of the border and, and always will be, but uh, certainly a Canadian at heart and uh, with a strong uh, uh, background on the American side too. So, Were you active in uh, university as much as you were in high school? You mentioned that you were president of the uh, school at high school. Were you active? Sure. Well, well, I've always been, uh, you know, I've, I've never been a, a afraid of speaking my mind. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, to that extent, I'm active. Uh, certainly very active on Facebook, you know, and social media to the extent that actually makes any difference in the world, which it probably doesn't. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've always been active in different organizations and, and things that are close to my heart and uh, um, things that I care about and, and that I think are important for both for, you know, for myself and for my family uh, and, and really, th you know, values that I cherish. I'm, I'm always interested in getting involved and, and I really, um, you know, it's, it's a part of who I am. So certainly I've stayed active in different organizations and, and different things that I care about. So 
you know, when you say you never shied away from speaking up your mind, um, if I kind of connect one of your professors or high school teachers and ask, what's, what do you think about Monty? How was Monty as a, as a student, as a person? What do you think they will say? I hope you're not going to bring one of my high school teachers on the program. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Is this like a Jerry Springer moment? <laughs> or, uh, uh, well, I, you know, it's, it's really tough to say. Uh, uh, but, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that, um, you know, they enjoyed my participation in class. I certainly participated sometimes uh, uh, I'm not talking yeah. about participating <laughs> in history class or, you know, in math. I'm talking uh, about speaking up your mind on uh, subjects that are close to your heart. Well, you know, I, 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 I'd like to think that they respected me for it and uh, they appreciated it. I, I really do feel like there's, there's going to be a Jerry Springer moment and somebody's going to pop out of the woodwork here. But, uh, you know, I'd like to think that they uh, uh, valued my opinions. But, uh yeah, you know, I certainly probably was a little too cocky maybe as a kid. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, when I look at, you know, little kids uh, uh, mouthing off today, sometimes I see myself in there. So uh, maybe I wasn't as fun as I thought I was back in the day. But uh, I'd like to think that uh, my, you know, I had I had a good relationship with most of my teachers, most of my professors. And, uh, um, you know. What, what, what will your university or schoolmates say about you? Again, I'd like to think that <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where this is going, David. You're building up towards something. I'm a little no, nervous. No, no, no. I'm just. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, look, I, I I have a lot of great relationships, great friendships that uh, uh, I value, and um, uh, you know, so hopefully people have uh, have uh, 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 you know value my relationship with them as much as I do I in see. the other direction. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, so you kind of graduate from uh, with a law degree. In university, and you decide to stay in the states. Correct. Why? Why not come back to Canada immediately after school? Well, firstly, you know, if I, if I was going to come back to Canada, Montreal was always the place to come back to. Uh, but um, being a lawyer on the American side, uh, it, n- number one, it's not easily transferable. Uh, number two, um, uh, I really felt like New York, being in New York. The experience in New York, as hard as we had to work, uh, really gave me a certain level of experience and insight on a substantive level uh, that certainly you can get substantive, obviously, uh, work anywhere. But there was something unique about the energy, about the vibe in New York, about the substance of the work you were doing. And, you know, New Yorkers, there's a certain one might say, uh, uh, you know, they, New Yorkers have a certain reputation, uh, <laughs> sometimes deserved, sometimes undeserved. I love New Yorkers. But um, there's something to it. Look, you, you feel like you're a little bit in the center of the world there. And uh, being an outsider, at first, I remember thinking, hey, who the heck do, we, do these guys think they are? But uh, certainly when you're there and you're working on the kind of transactions uh, that you can work on, you have the opportunity to work on. And again, the work is just crazy in terms of the intensity and the hours but uh, the level of, of work that you can do there was unique, and uh, I, I wanted to give it a go over there. So uh, happy I did it, but also happy I uh, moved on to uh, nice. more fun things. <laughs> um, I just, you know, I'm trying to understand the uh, law firms that you worked in. I think you worked in two different law firms. Correct. And uh, how big were they? I'm trying to kind of understand for myself, because for me, the New York law firms is what I see on TV. 
Right. Whether it's suit or other, yeah. you know. I was pretty much Harvey Specter, if I can, uh, you know, come up with a parallel from Suits. You know, that's that was me in every respect. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I also I grew up watching L.A. Law, uh, uh, but um, yeah, the reality is obviously different. Uh, unlike Harvey Specter, uh, you know, I, I didn't get to be Mr. Jack of all trades, come in to close the deal and and also do the closing argument and also get basketballs from Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and whatever other superstar I can get them from. I was pretty much a lowly junior associate in a factory of lawyers. Uh, Clifford Chance at the time, I think, when I was working there, as some like 3,700 lawyers worldwide. Uh, Greenberg Trower, when I worked there, some, I don't know, 1,500, 1,500. So these were gargantuan firms uh, with offices all over the world, and I was a little peon in the firm. But, uh, you know, when you come out of law school, you certainly have um, – uh, you think you're going to take over the world, and then you get stuck in a uh, either diligence review or a document review, uh, spinning out, you know, uh, uh, offering memoranda and contracts, and so it's it's for good reason not the kind of things you see on television. So, um, you know, the cold reality hit when I actually started practicing law. I think it was in the first week that wait a second, I'm not sure this is what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. So, so far, how long did you do it? I did it for. Uh, just about three years. I, I figured when I went in, I'd do it for about five, get some good experience, and then move on. But after three years, I decided, you know what, uh, the guys on the other side, in other words, my clients are having a heck of a lot more fun than I am. So uh, why not just go and join the other team? So that's what I did. And uh, I had great relationships from a law firm, which I keep till today, and a great network of friends and colleagues. But, but didn't you enjoy billing hours? <laughs> <laughs> not only did I not enjoy billing hours, I also hated the task of actually having to record those billings. So they would always be on me at the end of the month. Well, where the heck are your bill, your your billables, Monty? And, and uh, I just I hated the idea of of I don't know. It was just it was a cold uh, uh, environment in that respect. And uh, you know I, I I preferred doing the deals and 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 creating and making things happen rather than working on the contractual side. What kind of law did you uh, practice? I did, at, at Clipper Chance, I was doing primarily securities uh, uh, work, so, uh, you know, private and public offerings, uh, did a bunch of real estate investment trust work there, and uh, when I moved to Greenberg Traurig, I really focused more on real estate finance. I so. see. So it wasn't too hard to leave the profession? It was uh, a joyous day. Uh, <laughs> I felt a big relief. Uh, you there, know. Did you throw a big party? Uh, well, well, the, guy, the, the guys at the firm, we all went out and we had a great time. Uh, my one regret from that time is, you know, I came to work for the family business and, uh, you know, we had some, some crisis on the transaction, which, which seems to be a, a frequent uh, thing. <laughs> had to put some fires out. So, uh, you know, I had a dream of going to Australia for a month or two and spend some of the money I earned as a lawyer. But what ended up happening was I took three or four days, went to Vegas, and then actually came to Calgary from there. And, uh, so, so instead of going to Australia, I went to Calgary. So, which nothing is, wrong with that, right? It's really six of these, half a dozen of the yeah, other. Yeah, really, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what time of the year was it? It, it was actually May. So, so uh, got a good snowstorm here in Calgary. Yeah. Good May snowstorm in Calgary. It <laughs> <laughs> was actually wasn't terrible weather, but uh, and that's uh, uh, I think that was the second time I met you. I think the first time I met you was in New York City, actually, because you uh, you like to dabble in the New York scene, the art scene, David. Very sophisticated. Well, you know, guy. you know, I love. New 
New York for three nights, and then I have to go home. Uh, I had enough. Well, let's take a moment <laughs> to plug your wife's art once yeah, we're talking about New York. Well, we'll get to it later. We'll get to uh, that. Okay. We're so, talking about you, David. Well, enough about me. You know, you know, uh, we're on <laughs> Does radio, anybody so. ever interview you, David? I'm just curious. Um, I'm being interviewed in two weeks. <laughs> okay, make sure. Are you going to on taking care of business or on a different show? On a different show. Okay, so you'll be taking care of business on yes, somebody else's exactly. program. Okay. <laughs> uh, we have to take our first commercial break, Monty. Uh, okay. And I encourage our listeners to open a new tab and go to www.thesnrgroup.com where you can learn more about the SNR Group team as well as their ex- expertise and keys to success, which we'll, we'll discuss uh, later. We'll meet you here on the other side of the commercials. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D I V I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back uh, with my guest, Monty Steckler principal at the SNR Thank group uh, in Montreal. Monty, enough about you, okay? Uh, now we have to move into business uh, because, as you know, the name of the show is Taking Care of Business. And family business is different than regular business. Um, you know, it seems to me that the family business never leaves. Um, I mean, it's around the table, the dinner table, the lunch table, during the day. So you move from, you know, being a peon at a uh, 
a, a law firm to a family business. How was that move in 2007? Uh, it, it's How a, smooth it was it? It was, it, was, it was a seamless transition, actually. It was, it, I think, you know, practicing law, it just wasn't the right fit for me. And, uh, you know, being in, in our business in particular, it gives me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to work with my father. I'm able to learn a ton from and uh, it has given me the opportunity to both learn from somebody who has you know, 55 years of experience, 60 years of experience in the business, um, but at the same time, it's given me some freedom to, to try some things and, and uh, take some risks, uh, uh, you know, but having somebody there to bounce ideas off of. So it's, it's really been the best of both worlds. I see. And you also, you have your brother working with you. My younger brother, yes. Israel. So how, how does it kind of work? Who is responsible for what in a family <laughs> business like this? That's, you know, it's, it's, look, it's like any other business in the sense of, of you know, there, there are always uh, uh, interesting dynamics. And uh, being in the family business, of course, uh, uh, brings with it very interesting dynamics. And like you say, uh, you know, the, the lines are very blurred between business and family. Um, but it's it's really been a, a, a tremendous opportunity to to grow as a family and and see other sides of each other uh, of each other's personalities and grow together and and when you're with people that you respect uh, as people not just as family members it really helps so so that's really been uh, I would say kind of the hallmark of our business is, is we really respect each other, respect each other's opinions, get into fights with each other, certainly scream at each other uh, and disagree. But at the end of the day, we know we're all doing it for the betterment of the business and for the betterment of each other, even if we have different opinions. So, so ultimately... Uh, uh, that is what carries the day is that we know that the next day when we come back to the office, we had a disagreement the day before. It's, all right, let's talk about this again and just make sure we're on the same page. And there's a mutual respect and love for each other. And, and that's something that uh, really carries the day. Uh, if you're lucky enough to work in a family business where you actually do respect each other and, and know that you're coming from the right place. Um, you know, in many of my interviews, I get with uh different entrepreneurs, whether they are part of their, it's a partnership uh, company or a, a sole proprietor, we get to discuss the, uh, I would say, almost the need uh, of uh, mission, vision, uh, purpose. Does a family business have something like that? Well, you know, uh, and you know my father, my father is, uh, is an old school uh, old old school type of man, you know, and he's a, as hard a worker as I know, and he just he just moves, and he's he's in. A, I say this in a complimentary way. He's a bulldozer, so he bulldozes his way through. So uh, very often there, there's no time to think about vision. You got to just work, you know. So, uh, but but ultimately, but, but uh, now yeah. you have the new generation, which is your uh, younger brother Easy and you, sure. that you grew up on that kind of I would say. Uh, trend in the world of sure. you have to have mission, vision, right. purpose. So you know, my father's vision uh, can be summed up simply as we got to make money. <laughs> you know, that's his that's his motto. Or, or yeah. find me a good deal. Exactly. Fine, that's it. <laughs> How many times has he called you, David? David, where are the good deals? You haven't called me in a while with a good deal. And you know, it's funny because in New York. Uh, when you talk to these funds, well, uh, what exactly do you guys specialize in? And I, I, you know, so I'll tell them. I, you know, I specialize in in doing deals to make money. And then, well, no, no, no. are you a multifamily guy? <laughs> are you a retail guy? Are you an industrial guy? Um, and you know, my response is, 
I'm a guy who likes to do things that make money, you know. <laughs> so uh, uh, really, but our, our, I would say our vision to articulate is really uh, our goal, you know, we are principally land developers. So uh, we buy large tracts of land, develop neighborhoods, uh, do mixed-use subdivisions. Uh, we do the site planning. We sell uh, lots to builders. And then when there's multifamily or retail, we try to build that. We, we won't build anything that we don't get to keep for the long term. We're long-term holders. Uh, we'll weather the storm. We, we don't go into things uh, unless we know that we can carry it through thick and thin. And, um, uh, you know, so we, we like to create, we have a particular appetite for complicated situations, for better or for worse. We seem to dive into uh, complicated situations that other people wouldn't want to touch with a 10-foot pole. Uh, but we've been successful with that as long as you can uh, um, quantify the risk and understand what you're getting yourself into. Uh, we, you know, we'll we'll jump into things that other people wouldn't because we like the challenge, we like the creativity, and um, uh, you know. So again, in short, uh, we like to do deals that are interesting, that are fun, that we're going to enjoy, uh, uh, but that we can quantify and and understand the path uh, from A to Z in terms of taking it from uh, either literally dirt to a building or or some derivative thereof. You mentioned earlier that uh, sometimes you guys get into a screaming uh, match, <laughs> uh, you discuss it, you argue, uh, you disagree. What is the decision-making process at the end of the day to make that decision to go after this property or this venture or this development versus another? Well, I would say uh, that's what I've been, you know, I actually thought that aspect of joining the family business would be more difficult than it has been. Um, I, I would say, you know, I, I can't really think of a time uh, really in the last 11 years where uh, our, our family business uh, acquired a property that we didn't all agree we should acquire. So we've we have not acquired properties that some of us thought we should acquire and others didn't. But at the end of the day, it, it somehow ends up kind of unanimous where we all think, all right, yeah, let's take a shot at this. So, uh, you know, my father and I will uh, disagree sometimes on on whether we should buy something. But, you know, when I think about what we have actually purchased, it, it inevitably is uh, um, anytime we purchase something it's it's or sold something, it's where both of us agreed that we should do it. Uh, because I think at the end of the day, although we may disagree at the beginning, uh, I think we respect each other enough. I hope my father would say the same, but uh, I certainly respect my father enough uh, that I, I think we we see each other's perspective and value each other's perspective. And we know that we both, and, and I include my brother in this as well, we all need to be on the same page for a deal to work out. Uh, because particularly since we're not just buying, generally not buying stabilized assets, we're buying projects and really they're projects, you know, yeah. where it takes your, your blood, sweat and tears to make a project work. And, and we all recognize that if we're not all on the same page going in, it's just, it, it'll be that much more difficult of a task. Does do. someone has a veto power? Well, the old man, obviously. I mean, I'm, I, uh, he's got that baton, and he'll he'll wield it if he needs to. Now, now you mentioned that you're going after projects, and you don't buy revenue properties. But from my, what I understand, you guys did buy a revenue property, and and I think that um, discussions I had with you, you also see kind of uh, that avenue of uh, revenue properties as as something that you should develop. So how sure. does it, how does it work with with 
with your father that you mentioned that he is a developer in heart, in soul, in the mind, and, and, and sure. that's his whole being, being a developer. Well, we don't, uh, what I mean is we, we won't buy stabilized assets. So, you know, anything we'll buy uh, has some, as they say in the industry, that has some hair on it. Uh, at minimum, either we're buying literally dirt and acres and hundreds of acres, or uh, depending on the situation, or we'll buy an asset. For example, in Cleveland, we bought an office building that was 35% occupied, and uh, we're bringing it up to full occupancy. We're gutting and renovating the building, and um, you know, so we bought it at a good price. We we thought the deal made sense, but you know, it it takes creativity and hard work to both. Um, uh, renovate the building and reposition the asset and and bring in the right tenant mix uh, takes a lot of of energy. It takes plan uh, planning and it takes execution of that plan. So when we do buy revenue producing assets, it or or build revenue producing assets, is rarely a ninety five percent occupied office building. I think there are enough people to buy those. And with our experience, we we have the ability and the the experience and expertise to be able to add the value. So it it we feel like we're leaving money on the table if we just go buy what they call a coupon clipper in the industry. So uh, that's really our our thought process. I see. Um, you mentioned that you joined the company, the 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 family uh, company, the SNR Group, in two thousand and seven after you kind of uh, decided to leave the law uh, practice. And October 2008 arrives and, you know, the world is collapsing. Probably lawyers are billing like crazy for mm-hmm. to dealing with all that <laughs> crap that is going around yeah. New York. Yeah, that on the opportunity to build more hours. What a yeah. shame. Yeah. But, uh, so you guys go into this uh, big, I would say, global downturn in economy that impacts real estate really hard, especially in the U.S., but also in Canada. How does a family business, uh, you know, tackle such a situation? How did you guys manage, work through that process? Uh, well, I would say uh, there, there are a few factors. Firstly, uh, my father, being the old school, old school guy he is, has a aversion to debt. So we had very, very little debt on our properties. Uh, we owned a lot of land, and uh, one thing my father will never do is borrow money to buy land. So that's step A. So we were, you know, that that provided us a lot of protection. Uh, part, you know, step B or part two is uh, on the American side. Uh, my father had the foresight to sell a lot of what we had before the downturn. He saw some of the crazy things that people were doing, particularly um, as developers uh, developing a lot of residential subdivisions. Uh, he saw. You know, uh, a hairdresser making you know thirty thousand dollars a year buying four hundred fifty thousand dollars houses, and builders who were helping connecting them, connect them with the lenders, and the builders would get a fee to connect them with the lenders to lend them the money to do it, and buying even second homes and third homes and fourth homes, and he said, "I better get the heck out of here. This, this is going to be worse than I've ever seen before," and he was absolutely on point there where I think he he wasn't on point he thought it was going to be like back in the late 80s early 90s where uh, you know and at the time I was telling him what are you crazy everybody's buying you got to buy you got to buy you know but he was absolutely on point where I think he 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 wasn't on point which I think many people thought it was going to go back to the RTC famous RTC days or infamous RTC days um, where really you can after uh, the crash you can go and pick up 
properties for nothing. So I think that part of the, it was that, that flip side of the coin, uh, that part of it ne- never quite materialized in the same way that it had previously. So I don't think the buying opportunities were on the same level uh, as they were before. Uh, but but certainly that provided us immunity. And then the third thing, so stat, part A was um, very little debt. Part B was having the foresight to and the discipline to understand at the end of the day with real estate, you know, you can have all the fancy financial tools you want, but it's about people living, uh, people making a living, uh, people needing a place to live. It's it's really those old nuts and bolts. It, it hasn't changed that much in that respect and, and staying true to that. And then the third part is, uh, we the bulk of our assets, after we sold off a lot of what we had in the U.S., were really in, in the Montreal area. And Montreal never really, and, and Canada in general, didn't suffer the way the U.S. suffered because Canada uh, also has a little bit more of a conservative approach to finance and to, to lending. And uh, Canadians in general, their mentality towards that is different. And I think the U.S. had, had by you know because of what happened, moved a little bit in that direction. But so it's it's those three aspects of of our thinking that that helped us weather the storm. So your recommendation to an entrepreneur would be, do not leverage it ninety percent, <laughs> <laughs> or leverage it ninety percent, and you know uh, come talk to me. Now, uh, yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, look. Uh, for us, it's it's at the end of the day, you know, when people say, uh, do, you know, oh, why don't you take, uh, you know, leverage it up to 90 percent? Yeah, you could do more deals. And, you know, we just need to be able to sleep at night. And, uh, you know, I'd rather hit singles uh, and doubles than hit home runs. And, uh, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's slow and steady wins the race from our perspective. And again, it's it's different strokes for different folks. I mean, I'm in New York, so I see people doing, you know, you know they start at point A and get to point Z within five years. You know, they go from zero to, to $500 million plus in construction, uh, you know, and, and I I have respect for a lot of these guys, but you know, a lot of them do things that I just personally, uh, both personality-wise and 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 discipline-wise, I just I just couldn't bring myself to do. So, so it's it's a style. So as well. I want to kind of uh, go back to that point that you mentioned that your dad is uh, not buying land uh, with financing, and he's uh, you know trying to avoid leveraging to the max. Did you guys have opportunities during the recession or the global recession to buy properties at a discount and kind of grow the business when the market started sharing sure. up? No, we did. We absolutely did. Uh, uh, but the what we found was they were there weren't as many of those opportunities as we expected, uh, and and I think that was for a few reasons. But you know, like somebody told me, the reason you know the early '90s and the RTC days uh, uh, couldn't happen again is because they already happened. So the banks learned the lessons, the government learned the lesson that they weren't just going to repossess properties and sell them at ten cents on the dollar. So what we found was. Uh, uh, the, the lenders were much more patient with borrowers. I think there were pluses and minuses to what happened here in the 08 downturn. I think it took a lot longer to come out of the mess than it could have had properties properly been readjusted. I think the U.S. could have come back within a couple of years. Instead, it took you know seven, eight years easy for the U.S. to get back to where it should be. Uh, but uh, we did find some opportunities both on the land side and and you know on existing assets uh, that we picked up. But 
on the whole, there weren't as many of those opportunities at the kind of discounts that we expected. I see. Money, we reached our second commercial break. As you know, we have to go to commercial break. And uh, once again, during our commercial break, open a new tab at uh, www.snrgroup.com. Check the SNR Group residential and commercial locations. We will be back here with you following the commercials. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back for the home stretch of today's episode of Taking Care of Business with my guest, Monty Steckner, principal at the SNR Group. Um, and, and Monty, now uh, we discussed, uh, you know, uh, where do you have mission vision? We discussed uh, the uh, global t- uh, downturn in economy. You have now a perspective of 11 years working with a family business Um basically working in an entrepreneurship, an entrepreneur kind of uh, environment. When you compare it to the big institution law firm that you worked in, what's the comparison? What are the, you know, pluses and minuses that you see in the family versus institution and vice versa? Well, I, I think I, in, a, in an entrepreneurial setting, which is more uh, in line with my personality, it gives me a certain amount of independence. Uh, 
to to do things that I want to do without having to fit into a very confined box. And when you're working in a more institutional setting, like I said before, you know, it's are you a multifamily guy? Are you uh, a retail guy? Are you uh, yeah? So with us, it's and with our family, it's it's more entrepreneurial. It's more uh, it's more about uh, the story. And if we like the story of a certain transaction and of a certain deal, uh, we'll go for it. And uh, so it's it's far less limiting. Uh, of course, you know, when you're on the institutional side, uh, you're able to, you know, it, it carries with it a certain amount of uh, funding uh, that that you may not be able to as easily get in a family business setting. But uh, but I wouldn't sell this for the world. I mean, I have the opportunity to do things that I would never be able to do, both big and small. Uh, you know, with far less limitation than I would have in an institutional setting. I see. Um, I have to share with you something, okay? Okay. So when you kind of earlier said the Jerry Springer moment, I quietly <laughs> texted my uh, executive assistant, Sarah, to try and get your father on the line so we can ask him a few questions. Unfortunately, he is in a business meeting that he couldn't change, so we uh-huh. couldn't reach him. But I'm going to ask you that question that I want to ask him. And you, you may know or not know, or maybe you have to think about it, but when we did the research, we found out that the SNR group was started by your grandfather. Correct. And then your father joined the family business. And Correct. now Izzy and you are the third generation, not just as Canadian, but also the third generation is uh, SNR Group, maybe different names, but sure. But but the family business. The question I wanted to ask Mr. Steckler was, is there something that his dad taught him that he remembers as, I hated this and I'm not going to do it to my kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hated this and I'm not gonna do it to my kids. I don't think, uh, that my that a thought like that ever crossed my father's mind. Uh, you know, my father absolutely revered his parents, and uh, uh, my my grandfather came to Canada, and I think we reference it on the website. But he came to Canada with I think like it was like a buck thirty two in his pocket or something. My father actually knows the exact amount, so he would correct me if he was on here. But um, he really came in, you know, came to Canada with a shirt on his back, and was a peddler and uh, worked his tail off. Uh, to to just really create a, a, a business for himself, and re- and really the reason we even got into land uh, was because my grandfather, you know, he didn't have a formal education, and he felt a little more comfortable. You buy a piece of land, it's it's less complicated. It's nobody can steal it from you, you know. So my father, that's why we stayed with it. And you know, my father always says, oh, "I love land because nobody can steal it from me." Uh, and I say, <laughs> well, "Well, no, you can't collect rent from it either." So let's not forget that. But. Um, you know, my father really is cut from the same cloth as my grandparents in that respect in terms of the work ethic and utter tireless 110% devotion to family, uh, you know, and, and those are really his two, he doesn't have any hobbies outside of work and family. So uh, that's that's the kind of person he is and, uh, and I learned a lot from that. 
So your father is your mentor? You don't use a business coach or anything <laughs> uh, like a, a third party? My father, if I told my father I need a business coach, you'd look at me <laughs> like I'm from outer space, you know? It's like my brother. Yeah, it's like my brother, if uh, if my brother Izzy is listening, which he might be, I don't know, unless unless he's working. Uh, if, if Izzy's listening, I remember Izzy once uh, when he was about to have a kid, and I'm going to make fun of Izzy a little bit now. So uh, he told my father he wanted to go on a baby moon. Uh, with his wife, and my father looked at him like, you know, like, what, what is, what, what are you talking about? What's a baby moon? He said, Well, that's where you know, when you're about to have a kid, uh, you know, you go on kind of like a last hurrah vacation with your wife. And my father said, If you're about to have a kid, you should work twice as hard. Now you got to make a living. You know, so that's really uh, uh, my father. So you know, I, 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 for my father, it's, there's no, uh, I, there's no better teacher than experience. And my father's given me the opportunity and the space to make mistakes, and I've definitely made mistakes. Uh, so my father's certainly a mentor, but uh, I wouldn't discount my mother, who uh, who doesn't have uh, the business experience per se, uh, in the strictest sense, because she she raised all of us and uh, uh, was you know uh, stay at home mom. But uh, she gave me uh, a certain fundamental. Uh, um, principles and values and ideas that are as important, if not more important, in terms of uh, empathy and and understanding people and connecting with people and relating to people that before I entered business, I didn't necessarily recognize as being a business skill per se, but are as valuable a business skill or skills as anything you can actually learn in terms of a spreadsheet or the nuts and bolts of a deal. Because really, that's how so much of business is made, is connecting with people like you, David. So, have you watched the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? I did, way back in the day. Yeah, me but, too. Uh, and there is, uh, so going back to your mom, uh, and now that you have your younger brother, and your uh, dad, and yourself working in, sure. the, in the business, is she kind of, if you remember, that there's a scene there that, she, that the mom says, you know, the man is the head of the family, but we are the neck. We decide which direction. <laughs> is that your mom? Is that your mom role? I, I would say that, but with uh, with with a softer touch. You I know, see. my mother. She had a little bit more of a European touch. I see. So yeah, it's it, there's sir. You know, uh, David, you and I are Jewish, and so I think the Greeks, the Italians, the Jews. There's, there's you know, <laughs> you can't just plug and play when it comes to these movies and uh, these big family gatherings. Uh, there's definitely a, a strong similarity there for sure. I have a few questions questions that are true for every company. So do you have guys, any key performance indicators that you follow as a company? Well, look, we're, we're scrubbing deals on a daily basis and vetting them on a daily basis. Uh, you know, so yesterday we're, we're doing a project here in Calgary that you, David, uh, introduced us to, uh, a, a ground up mixed use project, retail and uh, multifamily in Marta Loop, great neighborhood. And, uh, uh, you know, so yesterday I told my dad, uh, you know, dad, we're about six weeks from being finished. The floors are in, it's looking great. Uh, you know, the brick's getting on. Well, how much of the brick is finished? <laughs> you know, well, uh, what about the, you know, what about the closet space? You know, the uh, contractor, uh, you know, the closet are a little narrow. Are you fixing it? Yes, we're fixing it. Well, what about the uh, Hardy plank? Is it, you know, so literally we're going through that. That's a daily conversation. Whatever deal we have is. Uh, so his uh, key performance are in his head. Yeah, there you go. But he, he has the list. I mean, he, you know, forget a spreadsheet. I just have to, you know, he'll have the entire list in his head <laughs> on a daily basis. We're going through and we're we're vetting it and scrubbing it and reanalyzing it and you know we give the deal space to evolve, but we are you know constantly testing it and and stress testing it to make sure that we are 
heading in the right direction, that we have the right numbers in mind, that we have, we're putting in the right product. And, you know, sometimes we'll have to spend a little more money to make some changes halfway through a project because the market has shifted. But being in a family business and a tight knit organization and family, it gives us the opportunity to make those changes quickly and adapt and react to market conditions much quicker than uh, an institution might be. Which leads me to the next question. What is the biggest challenge you see in growing the company? The biggest challenge in growing the company, I would say, is um, you know finding the right people uh, to to help us grow. Because I think both internally and externally, uh, so much about growing. You know, people think that it's it's about raising money, but it's it's really about having the right people in house and and the right professionals, uh, even outside the context of of your actual. Uh, organization. And so, so that's the biggest challenge is finding the right people. I think we've done a pretty good job, but you know, at times we've, you know, it's, it, it's tough because in the real estate industry, you, you pretty much pick a horse and it's it, in certain contexts, uh, it's hard to change horses. Uh, whether it's an architect, it's a contractor, it's certain professionals, uh, you know, you might be halfway through a project when we realize, you know, it, this wasn't the greatest choice and, uh, and it's tough to change from that. So, uh, you know, it's really that it, it, it's, it's really finding the right people and putting them in the right positions is, is the hardest part. But when you do have the right people and, and we do, we try to stick with those relationships and we've had relationships for 35, 40 years with professionals and contractors and, and we stick, we try to stick with those to the greatest extent possible. So, since we know that uh, Mr. Steckler is in a meeting right now and he can't listen, I have one question. Maybe you and Easy, your brother, talk behind Arthur's back. <laughs> what is, if you had the chance to change one thing, what would you change? Wow. <laughs> if I had the chance to change one thing, what would I change? We'd have a lot more revenue producing assets that we're spinning on, spinning off cash. Uh, than we do today, and that's something that we're trying to change. So we've got a lot of land that we're developing. One of the reasons I'm going back to Montreal is to uh, build out a lot of uh, our existing inventory of land. So we're going to be building a lot of multifamily, a lot of retail over the next 10 to 15 years on a lot of land that we own, uh, which back in the day we probably would have sold off to other builders and cycled through the cash and move on to the next project. So I would say our greatest deficiency is a lack of revenue producing assets. And that is uh, something that we're working very hard to change. So this will be the strategic plan going forward? Absolutely. It's We, we, we love land development. Uh, it's it's something that we're very good at and something we've done for a really long time and something we understand that a lot of people don't. Um, but uh, we, what we want to do is, is bring a little bit more balance to our business. Uh, and, and that's really the plan for the next decade. I see. Now, you mentioned earlier that you guys, when you talk with people, you tell them, you know, we know how to make money from those projects. How do you measure your success other than the financial revenue or, or profit at the end? Is there another way that you kind of measure as a family, as an individual, sure. your success? Well, it's, it's funny because I would say, uh, you know, as much as this is a business for us, I, I, I can't say that I have more fun doing anything else uh, and that it gets my juices flowing. It's, it's creative. And one thing I felt like practicing law, I, I, you know, I almost felt like a dead man walking, going to work every day. And, uh, you know, the moment I transitioned into the business side of, of things, um, you know, on a daily basis, 
I'm having fun, even with all the stress that comes with it. And there is a lot of stress when a project's not going well and you've got to put more cash into it and, and you're having problems with a, 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 a contractor or a professional and it's hard to get through it. I, I never for a moment do I feel uh, any lack of energy, any lack of will, any lack of desire to see it through. And, you know, it, it, it gets, it really, there's a certain adrenaline to it. So when we look at a deal, uh, really, it's all it's it's about being creative. It's about having fun. It's about you know I literally wake up in the morning and go to sleep at night thinking about okay, well, what kind of kitchen do we want to put into this project? What kind of floors do we want to put? What do I want this lobby to look like? And and it's fun. It's you know I, I picture myself living in every single building we build. I I picture myself uh, uh, you know leasing office space in every office building we build. I, I picture myself dining in the retail space we're building out. And, and it's fun. It's exciting. It's about life. It's about living. It's about growing. It's about providing places for people to work, to live, to play. And I just find it extremely, extremely enjoyable, extremely – it's an energetic business. It's a dynamic business. I get to meet people like you, David. I get to work with people like you, and that really – I well, find that's, very the, that's the low point of your business. Well, look, you know, it's, <laughs> we do the best we can, David. You know, we have to drag you along. You know? <laughs> um, you know, we have less than four minutes to the end of our, our today's show, and, and I have a few questions. And Where do you see the SNR Group in 2030? In 2030, uh, okay, uh, I see ourselves, uh, as I said, having more balance, doing a lot of what we have been doing and a lot of what we've been planning. I think uh, uh, hopefully we'll have more assets in more cities. Uh, we're planning to grow uh, both in Montreal, in Calgary, and Western Canada in general, and in the southeast of the U.S. We've had our head office in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. We're planning some pretty exciting projects down there. So we'd like on a biz on the business side to grow and do a lot of the same of what we've been doing. Do it on a larger scale in a few more markets that we uh, where we think there's a lot of potential growth. And then uh, on on the personal level, certainly grow the family and and do a lot more of the things that I enjoy doing uh, in terms of contributing back to the community and uh, uh, you know devoting time to the causes that I care about. And speaking up your mind. Um, any piece of any final piece of advice for an entrepreneur in a family business? Uh, just look, I think it's uh, work hard, uh, enjoy the people you work with. Uh, keep in mind that if you're in a family business, you all, you're hopefully all headed in the same direction and want the best for each other. Uh, if you can keep that in mind and keep working hard, hopefully uh, you'll be successful. I see. Uh, one in short, in 10 seconds, oh what is the one thing that you learned about yourself during this journey? Wow, David, you're, you're asking the tough questions. You have 10 seconds. Uh, in 10 seconds, what have I learned about myself? I think uh, I have more ambition than I thought I did. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'm not as lazy as I thought I was. Who oh, no. <laughs> Monty, we reached the end of today's episode of Taking Care of Business. Thank you very much for being my guest. It was a pleasure, as well as very interesting to learn about an entrepreneur's family business. Uh, we wish you continued growth and success. Thank you. Uh, next week, I'll host a new guest, an entrepreneur sharing with us the road to their success. Thank you for your emails. I got some great recommendations uh, for new guests. Uh, please keep on emailing me 
your feedback as well as guest suggestions at dvwallach at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, like us on Facebook, and connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you again, Aaron, our dedicated engineer, and Cassandra and Sarah, my assistant executive producers today. We will meet you here at www.voiceamerica.com slash variety next Tuesday, June 26 at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.